this week uh, leading up to uh, Easter is Passion Week. I've been uh, meditating on a hymn, and a very old hymn, called Lead Me to Calvary. I'm not too sure how many people know the song, Lead Me to Calvary. And uh, the chorus say, Lest I forget Gethsemane, Lest I forget thy agony, Lest I forget thy love for me, Lead me to Calvary. Good Friday is a solemn occasion. We prefer Easter than Good Friday. But we need to be reminded that there is no Easter without Good Friday. There is no resurrection without death. And death is important to ponder. In uh, Ecclesiastes, it says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. One French author said that everybody knows that they're going to die, but no one believes in it. If they do, they will live differently. Everybody knows that they're going to die, but no one believes in it. Because if they do, they will live differently. And today we're going to ponder on the final two words of Jesus on the cross. Final two sayings. We've been covering the last seven words or seven saying of Jesus on the cross. And today, the last two words, it is finished. And the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Final two words, two sayings of Jesus on the cross. Pastor Bruce has already mentioned, I think he must have looked at my notes. He knew that I'm going to say this. Jesus went through actually five or six trials. If you want to uh, double up with Pontius Pilate twice, it will be six, otherwise it will be five times. And the first trial was with, uh, before Annas. Annas or Ananias, he was the high priest. He, he was not a current high priest, but he was the first high priest. Very powerful man. And he was a high priest for ten years. Ten years. And so they brought Jesus to see him first. And then after that, they brought Jesus to see Anna's son-in-law, which was the current high priest at that time, called Caiaphas. Caiaphas. It was, and he was the longest-serving high priest, 18 years. Very powerful man. And as Anna's six sons was a high priest subsequently as well. So it's kind of a family thing, kind of nepotism kind of way of doing things. Um, and it was during this time that Jesus appeared before the, the current high priest at that time, Caiaphas, that who will pronounce him guilty of blasphemy. And it is also here that the first physical trauma was inflicted on Jesus. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. 
And the palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly taunted him and struck him in the face, spat on him, and just throw him around, you know, just mucking around with him. And soon after dawn, Jesus was tried again, and this time before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was just a, a council uh, allowed by the Roman Empire so that they have some sort of say, but Romans still the one that's controlling it. And it was in the Sanhedrin council that again found guilty and condemned. And those trees are known as religious trial. And there's the third trial. And then, find, and then they moved to Pontius Pilate in the morning, battered and bruised, dehydrated. Remember, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane after Last Supper, Garden of Gethsemane. He stayed throughout the night. He was praying until morning. And then Ju Judas came along with soldiers and arrested him. And the whole night, he hasn't been sleeping. And so Jesus was battered, bruised, dehydrated, exhausted from a sleepless night. And he's taken across to see Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, of course, attempted to pass responsibility to King Herod uh, because he doesn't want to make any decision. And of course, you know the story, his wife was so involved in a dream and, and not to ask him not to get involved as well. And, uh, and apparently he went to see Pont, uh, Herod, passed, so Pontius Pilate passed Jesus to King Herod and Jesus apparently suffered no physical mistreatment at the hands of Herod. And then he was returned back to Pontius Pilate, the six trials. And then Pontius Pilate was trying to release Jesus because he really could not find anything wrong with this man just by being good and by, by healing people, preach the gospel of love, love enemies, and all that kind of stuff. And he tried to, during the festival time, release a prisoner just to satisfy them. And so he took Barabbas and Jesus there, say, asked them who they want, him to release. They said, Barabbas, Barabbas, we want you to release Barabbas and condemn Jesus to scorching and crucifixion. And so there start the process of torture, the process of inflicting pain on Jesus. First by scorching. It's, scorching itself was such a painful event that many people actually died from it without even making it to their cross. Jesus' hands would have been chained above his head to expose his back and legs. And then an executioner whip, they called it flagrum. Two men, one on each side, took turns whipping the victim. And the whip was a series of long leather straps at the end of some of the straps were heavy balls of metal intended to tenderize the body of a victim like a chef tenderizes a steak by beating it. Some of the straps had hooks made by glass, metal or bone that were sunk deeply into the shoulders, back, buttocks, legs of the victim. And once the hook had lodged into the tenderized flesh, the executioner would rip the skin, muscle, tendons, and even bones of the victim. And the victim's skin and muscles would hang off the body like ribbon as the hooks 
dissected the skin to the nerve layers. The damage would go so deep that even the lungs were bruised, which made breathing difficult. Some doctors have compared the damage of flogging to the result of a shotgun blast. And the victim would bleed profusely and would often go into shock due to severe blood loss and insufficient blood flow near and through the heart. And despite his young age and good health, Jesus was strong, he was a carpenter, he was prime of his age, 33 years old, Jesus was so physically devastated from his sleepless night, miles of walking, severe beating and scorching that he collapsed under the weight of the cross, unable to carry it alone. And the cross weighed 136 kilograms. And he has to walk for four kilometers. And it was so traumatized from all the beating and the back and he could only carry for 3.2 kilometers and the last 800 meter was carried by Simon of Cyrene as we all know they carried a cross for him and it has been said that death by crucifixion is perhaps the most atrocious means of execution ever conjured up in the minds of madmen. It was invented by barbarians, but taken over by the Greeks, and it was perfected by the Romans. It has been regarded as the cruelest method of execution ever practiced because it delayed death until the maximum torture had been inflicted on his victim. So the point is not just to let you die, but is to torture you to maximum. and Don't let you die so easily. It was possible for the victim to hang on the cross for days before dying very slowly of asphyxiation. The Roman Empire considers crucifixion such a hideous form of execution that they did not allow any Roman citizens to be executed in this manner except in extreme cases of treason. And someone, one philosopher says, to buy a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed that no Roman citizen will have to undergo. Did you know that crucifixion was so painful and such a horrible way to be tortured? and killed that a new word had to be created to describe it. When we talk about pain, when you have unbearable pain, what is the word that comes to your mind? Excruciating, right? And that word in Latin literally means out of the cross. Because that word is the word that describes 
the maximum sort of pain that a person can or will endure. Excruciating pain out of the cross. Because on the cross of crucifixion, the whole purpose is to torture you. And a major physiological effect of crucifixion was to make breathing and particularly exhaling extremely difficult and painful. Victims usually died of either the loss of blood or by suffocating. And the weight of the body pulling down on the outstretched arms and shoulders pulled the breathing muscle into a state of inhalation. So exhaling could only be accomplished with conscious effort to breathe out. And even the, that, then breathing would be very shallow and not adequate. Muscle cramps and convulsions occurred. And the only way Jesus was able to breathe on the cross was by lifting his body up by pushing down on the nail through his feet and pulling himself up on the nails in his wrists. This would allow the breathing muscles to stretch in their normal fashion. But it also produced searing bolts of excruciating pain through his arms and legs. The bleeding ribbons of torn flesh on his back scraped against the rough cross and bled once again. And each breath was not only agonizing, but extremely tiring. And at this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscle, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. And with these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. And hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscle are paralyzed and the intercostal muscle are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. And Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. And finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the blood streams, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen just a little bit. It was undoubtedly during this period that he uttered those seven short saying or short sentences recorded. And it is those times that he's brief and say his final two words and last seven words that we've covered five. Someone once asked Jesus, how much you love me? And Jesus stretched out his arm and said, this much. And I've been reading a little bit about the medical side of uh, Jesus' torture and all that. And in John Gospel, it is, it is said that the soldiers took a spear and stuck it in his side just to make sure he had died. And because the Passover coming, they just want to quickly get over it so that these people won't hang on it the cross for too long and so sometimes they break their their legs so that they cannot push themselves to exhale but uh, to, to 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 be consistent with the prophecy of a perfect lamb of God 
uh, it was not dealt upon Jesus, but instead the soldier actually pierced into his sight just to make sure he had died. And it is said that when it pierced into his side, water and blood came out of the chest cavity. And many medical doctors have always puzzled why does blood and water mix together in his chest cavity. And many, many medical doctors say that you get water and blood mixing in the chest cavity only if the heart rips. So you can call it what you want, but Jesus died of a broken heart. It exploded. Exploded his heart. And it is at that such time that he breathed his final two words. I forgot to show you all these slides. And... Uh, and in saying it is finished, in saying, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. These final two words, I believe Jesus is calling our attention to two things. Two things. The first thing, when he uttered the sixth word, it is finished, he is calling us, our attention to his plan. He's telling us, that his plan, his assignment is completed. It is finished. It is finished. And when we read the word it is finished, we will ask what does the word it mean? What is finished? What exactly is finished? The plan that God has to redeem the world, to save the world, is finished. It has been completed. When Jesus cried out, he was declaring that he has finished his work on the cross. He came down from Christmas time, born in the Virgin Mary, dwell on earth for 33 years, die on the cross. His assignment is done, is finished, is completed. His task, his assignment to redeem the world is completed. Right from the start in Genesis chapter 3, has already prophesied when serpent that he will bruise the serpent head and the serpent will strike his heel. Right from the start, has already prophesied of what was to come in the future. And finally, after so many years, Christ died on the cross and said, It is finished. It is finished. English, there are three words there. But in the original word Greek, there's only one word. And the word is tetelach. Let me try to pronounce it. I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, tetelastai. Tetelastai means it is finished. And tetelastai simply means it's a counting term. It's a marketplace term. When you pay it in full, they will write across and say, Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Paid in full. It's an accounting term. Marketplace. When you do that, Tetelestai. Paid in full. Jesus died on the cross, said it is finished. The work for him to save the world 
from sin. He provides a way for us to come to God. Has been done, has been dealt with. The justice of God has been satisfied. The wrath of God has been satisfied because of humanity's sin. Require a perfect man to redeem and pay it for us. And the job is done. It is finished. And Jesus on the cross said that it is finished. He has provided a way. He paved a way for us to come to God. And so now we can come to God through Jesus Christ. That the salvation work has been secured for us. You have done nothing. It is all of Christ's work on the cross. And you have done nothing. You just only need to come and receive this grief and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. And today I give my life to you and I will follow you all the days of my life. It is finished. I've done the work for you. Now you can come to God through me. I'm your mediator. Not your good works. Not your intelligence. Not how clever you are. What kind of title you have in front of your name. How many zeros you have in your bank account. What kind of suburb you live in. The church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. It is for broken people. It is for people who say, I can't make it. I don't have it all. I need help. I need help. I need Jesus to save me. He's your Savior. To tell us how, paid in full. The way has been provided for you. Come to Jesus. And not just his final words, it is finished. And Father, into your hand I command is to point us to his plan. But secondly, it is also calling our attention to his power. Not just only calling our attention to his plan, but to his power. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you see the control there? Someone say that uh, you, you die the way you live. Your final words reveal about your life. You die the way you live. You die in regrets means you live your life in regrets. But here, Jesus calling us our attention to His power. He has absolute control over His own destiny. He said, now I have accomplished what I need to do. I have achieved it. I preached the gospel. I came here. I died on the cross. And finally, I'm ready to return to God the Father. Father, I'm ready now. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Let me read to you the text first and then I will give you three things. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple, temple, 
the, the curtain in the temple split into two because the curtain is the one that only once a year the high priest can enter into the Holy of Holies to present sacrifice, represent the nation of Israel, present sacrifice to God once a year. And even then, they have to put bell on his leg just to see, sense that God is pleased with the sacrifice. And as he moves around, cling, 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 that means he's still alive. Because if he's dead, then they will have to wheel him up, pull him out. Uh, and, but the curtain split into two, meaning to say when Jesus died, it is finished. Now he has provided way, a way for us to come to God directly through Jesus Christ. He make it make a way for us to come to him. The curtain split and was torn in two. No more temple. The first temple was built by King Solomon and it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And the second temple was reenacted by King Herod and was destroyed by the Romans. And ever since then, they don't have a temple. Why they don't have a temple? Because they don't need sacrifice anymore. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God sacrificed. That's why Israel as a nation has no temple. They have synagogue, but no temple. There's no need of temple because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross once and for all. Paid in full. And then, here comes Jesus' final saying, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. After Jesus has spoken the six words, and before he spoke the seven words, he told us the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Jesus cried out, It is finished. The curtain no longer necessary. Jesus would now be our mediator between God and his people. Jesus is ready to go home. His task is done. He has absolute power over his own life. Max Lucado captures this moment better than anyone's when he wrote this. He said, The voice that screamed at God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now says, Father. The two are again one. The abandon is now found. The schism is now breached. Father. He smiles weakly. It's over. Satan's vouchers have been scattered. Hell's demons have been jailed. Death has been damned. The sun is out. S-U-N. The sun is out. And the sun, S-O-N, is out. It's over. An angel sighs. A star wipes away a tear. Take me home. Yes, take me home. Take this prince to his king. Take this son to his father. Take this pilgrim to his home. He deserves a rest. Take me home. Come, 10,000 angels. Come and take this wounded troubadour to the cradle of his father's arms. Farewell, manger's infant. Bless you, holy ambassador. Go home, death slayer. Rest well, sweet soldier. The battle is over. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And in that sentence, Jesus claimed power over three things. He claims power over three things. He claims power over death. He claims power over death. Because he, St. Augustine said, he gave up his life because he will it 
when he will eat and as he will eat. When he called out to his father, Jesus revealed his power over death. No one of us here has power over death. No one. It doesn't matter how well or how healthy you are, the most you die healthier, that's all. But you still die. No one has power over death. Only Jesus, because he conquered death by rising from the dead Easter Sunday. So when that statement Jesus said, into my hands I commend my spirit, he proclaimed his power over death. And not only he's, he has power over death, but he has power over Satan. Satan is the god of this age. God of this world with a small g at the moment. John chapter 10, Jesus said, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Not Satan. Not an accident. Matthew used the word dismiss his spirit. Mark used the word he breathed out his spirit. John says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Why? Simply to convey one point that Jesus died as a victor. What's the greatest battle that has ever occurred in history? Is it Jettysburg? Is this Normandy? No, there's no doubt the conflict was fierce at these battles. But the greatest battle in the history of the world happened at Calvary. It was unseen to the naked eye. Satan hurled his evil forces at the Son of Man. The prince of the world who led the creation into cosmetrician sought to eliminate the Creator. And he thought he had won, but he was wrong. For his final words, Jesus revealed his power over Satan. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm in charge. I didn't subject to the evil forces. I'm in charge. And thirdly, I think that sentence alone also tells us that he has power over sin. Power over sin. power over sin. Sin has been dealt with. Sin that prevents humanity from coming to God has been dealt with by Jesus' final words on the cross. Father, into my hand, into your hand, I commend my spirit. When I was doing the preparation for this study, it, it came upon me that uh, as I do my research and reading, apparently, the phrase, into your hand, I commit my spirit, it is a common phrase that every Jewish parents would teach their children when they put their kids to bed. What do you say to your daughter or son when you put them to bed? What kind of word, what is the family tradition as a Christian do you use? But in the Jewish culture tradition, they will often say this, into your hands I commit my spirit. Before they close their eyes to sleep, it is the Jewish custom and the culture. Now I, lay, now I lay me down to sleep. So the Jewish mother taught her child to say before the threatening dark came down into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
But Jesus was a little bit more intimate. Jesus add the word Father. By the way, this is taken from Psalm 31 without the word Father. But here Jesus added the word Father. Jesus made it more intimate for he began it with the word Father. Even on the cross, Jesus died like a child falling asleep in his Father's arms that will wake up in the morning. Jesus, in his final moments on his journey, did not speak large words. He did not emerge, engage in a philosophical debate. He uttered the words of the first prayer he ever learned. And this is what gave great comfort to his soul in his last moments. Yes, these last words were testimony to what life is about. He began life with God and he completed his earthly journey with God. Two things. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus want to con God wanted to convey to us his plan and his power. So may you know on this special Good Friday that God's plan has been accomplished. You need to come to Him, accept Him as a Savior, follow Him, know that you can go to God through Jesus Christ and that He has power that when we confront our own death, we will have no fear for God is with us. We can face death knowing there is a future beyond the grave. When we know Christ, Death is not the end. Death is not the termination of life, but it's only the transition into eternity. How did Jesus die? We talk about how to live, but how did Jesus die? Not so much as a means, but in a manner. He died confidently in God's presence, in God's promises, in God's protection. He not just only died confidently, he died willingly and he died victoriously. And may this Good Friday, as you look at the cross, be reminded of his wonderful, great love for you. Let me finish with this. And I'm going to invite you to stand and sing a beautiful, beautiful song. There's a story about three trees three little trees it goes like this once upon a mountain top there were three little trees they stood and they dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up and the first little tree looked up at the stars and said you know what I want to hold treasure I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones I'll be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. The second tree looked out at a small stream trickling by on its way to the ocean. He said, you know what? I want to be traveling mighty waters. And I want to carry powerful kings. I'll be the strongest ships in the world. And the third little tree looked down into the valley below where busy men and women work in a busy town. And then the third tree said, You know what? I don't want to leave the mountain top at all. 
I want to grow so tall that when people stop to look at me, they raise their eyes to heaven and think of God. I will be the tallest tree in the world. And then years passed. The rain came, the sun shone, and the little trees grew tall. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain. The first woodcutter looked at the first tree, and then he said, This tree is beautiful. It is perfect for me. And with a swoof of his shining axe, the first tree fell. Ha! The first tree thought. Now I shall be made into a beautiful chest. I shall hold wonderful treasure. So happy. The second woodcutter looked at the second tree and said, This tree is strong. It is perfect for me. And with a swoof of his shining axe, the second tree fell. Now I shall sail mighty waters, thought the second tree. I shall be a strong ship for mighty kings. And the third tree felt her heart sink when the last woodcutter looked her way because she doesn't want to leave. She stood straight and tall and pointed bravely to heaven. But the woodcutter never even looked up. Any tree, any kind of tree would do for me, he muttered. And with a swoof of his shining axe, the third tree fell. And the first tree rejoiced when the woodcutter brought her to a carpenter's shop. But a carpenter fashioned the tree into a feed box for animals. And the once beautiful tree was not covered with gold nor with treasure. She was coated with sawdust and filled with hay for hungry farm animals. The second tree smiled when the woodcutter took her to a shipyard. But no mighty sailing ship was made that day. Instead, the one strong tree was hammered and sawed into a simple fishing boat. And in Malay, we call it sampan. She was too small and too weak to sail on an ocean or even a river. Instead, she was only taken to a little lake. The third tree was confused when the woodcutter cut her into strong beams and then just left her in the workshop. What happened? The one tall tree wondered. All I ever wanted was to stay on the mountaintop and point to God. In many, many days and night passed, the three trees nearly forgot their dreams. And one, one, one night, golden starlight poured over the first tree as a young woman placed her newborn in a feed box. I wish I could make a crater for him, her husband whispered. And the mother squeezed his hand and smiled as the starlight shone on the smooth and sturdy wood. This manger is beautiful, she said. And suddenly, the first tree knew he was holding the greatest treasure in the world. One evening, a tired traveler and his friends crowded into the old fishing boat. The traveler fell asleep as the second tree quietly sailed into the lake. 
And soon a thundering and thrashing storm arose. The little tree shuddered. She knew she did not have the strength to carry so many passengers safely through with the wind and the rain. And the tired man awakened. He stood up. He stretched out his hand. And he simply just said, Shalom, peace. And the storm stopped as quickly as it had begun. And suddenly the second tree knew he was carrying the king of heaven and earth. One Friday morning, the third tree was startled when her beams were yanked from the forgotten wood pile. She flinched as she was carried through an angry, jeering crowd. She shuddered when soldiers nailed a man's hands to her. She felt ugly and harsh and cruel. But on Sunday morning, when the sun rose and the earth trembled with joy beneath her, the third tree knew that God's love had changed everything. It had made the third tree strong. And every time people thought of the third tree, they would think of God. That was better than being the tallest tree in the world. You know, my friends, our lives can go through many phases as we age, as we go through. But when God is in the picture, when you know His plan is to save you, redeem you, your future destiny, your past, your present, and your future are all mapped out, you are safe. You are safe. May this Good Friday make you come to Jesus. Renew your love for Him. And I'm going to invite a musician to come forward. We prepare to sing the third song after just a short prayer. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you came for us and you said, Tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. Your job is done. Your plan your assignment is completed. Now we can come to you through Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do. Nothing we have done. We just need to come to you naked and say, Lord, save me. I can't make it. I need help. I need you. And you can come to us because you are as near as the mention of your name. Thank you, Lord. Your plan and help us to remember on this Good Friday of your power. You have power over death. You have power over Satan. You have power over sin. Sin is no longer an issue now. You have dealt with it and therefore we can come to you. Sin, our past sins are forgiven. Our current sins are forgiven. Our future sins are forgiven. Thank you, Lord. And as we sing this song once again, we are stand amazed at your presence 
of holy God. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this beautiful hymn, I Stand Amazed. Shall we stand? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And
Thank you, Lord. We are righteous. We have been justified. We have been accepted. We have been embraced. Welcome that the prodigal son embraced. Thank you for your love for us. And we can really sing how wonderful, how marvelous. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us as we depart. May we experience more of your love in our own heart. Deep, deep in our heart. Never, never, never doubt that you love us. Never doubt. We just need to look at the cross and be reminded of your love for us. No matter how far we are straight away from you, we can come back. We know you are there for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unfailing and unconditional and the empowering presence, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.